0: light treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Oh, hello. How's it going?
1: It's going well. I am enjoying an almost spring-like day here in the Middle West.
0: Wow, that's huge because uh, not to break the fourth wall or whatever wall this would be, but sometimes I wake up to screenshots from Meredith of Terrible weather forecasts in her area. Usually it's very cold and snowing.
1: <laughs> yes, it's almost always the why is it 20 degrees and it's the end of April. Yeah, it's um, a lot of yeah. why is
0: this happening to me? Why is this my fate? Uh yeah, um, should I go outside? Should I not go outside? Yeah. yeah. A lot of uh, and, you know,
1: I learned something really interesting this week that apparently some people still have in-person meetings.
0: So I am alarmed and horrified by this fact, but occasionally I interview for jobs and I'm amazed at how often they're like, now this is a hybrid role, so we'll want you to come in sometimes. And I'm like, but why? I can do the job remotely. (laughs) Why do I have to come in? They're like, because we still pay for the studio. And it's like, "Uh, why do you do that? They're like, because we pay for the studio. It's like... (laughs) Like so many podcasting platforms are doing everything remotely now, and guess what? You don't have to pay rent. It's kind of a great deal. Yeah, that's the whole point. It saves you the money. Yeah. You don't need it. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. The uh, yeah, I was uh, I've been working with some people, and there was this suggestion that I might travel to meet them in a different city, and I thought, well, this is. I mean, Meredith, a different very state. confusing a yes. different
0: state, not just a different city. Like that would be insane. Within the same state, but you were like, "Am I going to California?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was very strange. It turned
1: out it didn't work this time, so I'm not, okay. in fact, moving uh, or not. I'm not taking myself out there. However, okay, it was very jarring to suddenly it was. think, "Oh my goodness, work
0: travel." Although <sighs> we we flipped it a little bit, where we were like, "You could turn it into a cute little vacation for yourself. That'd be fun." Oh. Well, yeah, and that, I
1: would clearly do that because yes. you must. But this is, uh, yeah, such is life.
0: <laughs> such is life. Well, I'm glad, I guess, that you don't have to go through the burden of traveling when there's still a pandemic. So, yes, thank you. I am very pleased about that. Yeah, happy for you that you don't have to do that and deal with airport stuff. Because I hear people just have forgotten how to behave. Not that people were great at airports ever, but I've heard it's gotten, like, truly wild.
1: I really do not need that in my life right now. I feel pretty good about how things are going. I would Mm -hmm. prefer to just not deal with such nonsense.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. So before we get to recommendations, because we have a lot to talk about, I wanted to thank my newest Patreon supporter, Richard. Hello. Thank you so much for your support. And just as a reminder to everyone, I... This is a 100% listener-supported show, everybody. That's why you never hear commercials on this show. So if you go to patreon.com slash Alison Kilkenny, that is one of the ways you can support the show and me and my guests who I pay. So uh, you can do that for as little as $5 a month, and you get to send questions, comments, recommendations. Basically, you skip the line as opposed to emailing me at an account that I almost never check. Although you can do that as well, but like, please nothing time sensitive. Cause I check it maybe once every three months. So, but thank you, Richard. Much appreciated. So Meredith, I wanted to start things. First of all, I don't even know. I don't remember like what you have seen at this point. So let me start out by asking, did you see the Northmen? Yes, I did. Okay. How did you feel about the Northmen?
1: See, I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm-hmm. my, uh, dear friend chelsea g summers uh who i've recommended uh her book on the podcast before a certain hunger she went to see it in sweden with her hot swedish husband and called it a very silly film which Which i thought was accurate um i I mean anytime you
0: (laughs) cast bjork in a film i think there's a certain winking to the audience like we're going to treat this matter seriously and with a certain level of gravitas, but we know it's silly. I mean, this is, she plays not, she's
1: not just in the movie. She plays a CRS and I don't <laughs> think she's been in a film since she was tortured by Lars von Trier in dancer in the dark. Oh my God. So, this is a truly triumphant return to the cinema for her. Um,
0: Little known fact. I thought, yeah. I, ha- I did not see Dancer in the Dark until the year 2022 and or was it 2021? It was very recent. I recently. think it
1: was late 2021 because I, I remember happy. you talking about it and then <laughs> me berating you for watching it and then you reminding me that I had actually told you to do You so. told me to
0: watch it and I was like frantically texting you where I was just like I couldn't believe this was the plot of the movie. I couldn't believe the way it ended. It was just like horrifically sad. And I was so mad at you. But yeah. So <laughs> haven't seen you in a movie since then. So it was nice to see yeah. her. Yeah. But it I, she yeah. she does have a way of taking you out of it, out of the film She definitely element. does. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah. And her outfit definitely seemed like one she would wear in one of her music videos. Yeah. So yes. it did have that element. Um, I know you didn't feel as strongly about it as I did because I really thought it was fun.
0: I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought that I think, um, you know, Robert Eggers is his most effective when he's not so talky in his films. And I know that he was very committed to getting like the jargon, right? He got really caught up in that as well with the lighthouse. Like he really, really wanted it to be historically accurate dialogue, which I respect. But when the dialogue is so impenetrable and it goes on for fucking forever, and it's otherwise such a visually stunning movie. I'm like, you know what? I don't need these characters to talk so much. Yeah. And
1: the I guess I'm glad that he didn't lean completely into making it that, you know, grunting, so almost silent, like, animalistic epic revenge tale. Because that would have just been too silly. Like, why not mm-hmm. just have a Viking drum circle, like underplaying the whole like under all of the score sure uh but i i agree with you that he works best when he's creating atmosphere and telling story through visual elements rather than trying to explain the dialogue but that's very much his thing all of his movies have had long period like long stretches of silence and Mm -hmm. have had these like really intricate set designs but um and I'm sorry, they had me at naked volcano fight.
0: They did. But here's the thing. We didn't see one dick during that. Like, are you kidding? I know. That Not was my one biggest dick.
1: critique. I was like, guys, they're naked. I should. We, we didn't see one dicks scene- flopping around. Yeah.
0: And I know that looks a little silly, but, you know, show us like the profile of a dick.
1: They're nude on a volcano that's yeah. erupting. I don't know why we couldn't just have that little extra bit. And there's even one shot where you should be able to see Alexander Sarsgaard's peanuts, but then it's just a little, it's sort of obscured by the glow of lava behind his torso. So you get the sexy and then uh, nothing else.
0: Also, I'd like to just apologize to the actors uh, for Meredith referring your penises as their little bits. (laughs) So we're so sorry. Um, But I was... You know, uh, there was some criticism about like one of the best scenes in the film is they show this group of Vikings sacking a village. And it's this Mm -hmm. really like it's the scene in the trailer that like made everybody instantly uh, splooge where it's like Alexander Sarsgaard catching the spear in midair and throwing it back like it's an absolutely spectacular scene and beautifully shot. Eggers at his best, but there was some criticism about like this was kind of like a PG-13 take on Vikings and there's this suggestion of like um there is some violence but it it's I think he's holding back a little bit and there's some suggestion of sexual violence but nothing overt. And so I've heard some critics criticizing it a little bit. I was a little more sympathetic when I heard Eggers explain his hesitancy in doing a Viking film at all, because he was very aware the whole time that the extreme right has sort of hijacked Vikings to be the emblem of like the ideal male. And part of the reason they think that is because like, this is a true alpha male who takes what he wants and like rapes women if he wants to. And Eggers was like, I really, really, really did not want to show that. I wanted to tell a Viking story, (laughs) but I didn't want to play into those like the worst aspects of that sort of modern culture's use of Vikings. So that made me a little more sympathetic to him.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think um, it was it was actually like heartening to hear him so publicly like talk about grappling with that, Mm -hmm. because I think given what he looks like. And right. who should seems we, to like his movies?
0: Should we just lay out the cards? So <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I have been texting Meredith about Eggers for a while, basically wondering how he keeps managing to make films with entirely white casts. Now, <laughs> I and I know you know. Um, oh my God, what is her name? Uh, Anna. Um, Anya Taylor Joy. Anya Anya Taylor Joy is technically from Argentina, but she's very very uh, white presenting. So Oh yeah, she's uh, Nazi white. She's Nazi white. Thank you. I I didn't want to say it, but Meredith said it. She's Nazi white. Um, but you know, her her involvement aside, he has had entirely white cast. Now it he happens to tell stories that it's not unusual that the whole cast would be white, but man, he keeps managing to to pick those stories, doesn't he? Those are the stories that he wants to tell. And then if you've never seen a photo of Eggers, he he looks like, you know, a, a racist english soccer lad you know like he he looks like the type of guy who would be racist and i know that's profiling i know it's wrong but it was very heartening to hear him on a podcast basically being like i am aware that a certain group of people uses vikings to promote a really really awful philosophy and i'm not a part of that and i was like i'm really i was very heartened to hear him just say that overtly (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I know it's amazing how sometimes just, just saying the words, doing the absolute uh-huh. least ends up working. But yeah. I I thought that there was a satisfying amount of violence in the film. I thought that, like, anytime a director wants to sanitize a period piece by not including sexual violence, I will mm-hmm. support that decision. Me too, because, 100%. Like, I
0: don't want to see that. Yeah. And I thought the scene with Anya was enough like the Mm -hmm. threat of sexual violence against her and also her response to it was just I won't spoil it for everybody but like was amazing um and like using weaponizing female biology (laughs) was like (laughs) very very cool and I liked it a lot um but I agree with you I'm like I don't need to see that I I know that these guys were raping everybody and I don't need to see it
1: Yeah, this is just we we can get the picture. We can know that it doesn't need to be an intimate part of the story. I appreciated how much it felt like they were, you know, I could feel the influence of the Icelandic poet who co-wrote the script with Eggers very, very strongly, especially in some of the, the imagery and the way the story unfolds in terms of its connection to the Icelandic sagas. Like you can really feel it um which was was fantastic but ultimately i spent the whole time just sort of like grinning like an idiot about how much it ruled
0: how did we feel about oh i have so many questions how did we feel about the accents the choice of accents uh
1: i mean given that icelandic sounds like danish but or danish or swedish but with like rocks in your mouth um yes. but always with a fairy lilt i guess it was fine
0: I think it's I not well pro- yeah I I think I had it's had not well enough known as an accent to be a problem like it's not like an english accent so for americans right. i'm sure people were like yeah sure i guess is that the right accent i guess to me the the worst was the kid not to you know should talk a child actor but ugh, his first line i was just like oh no and then you know like yeah. fortunately he's not in the film that long uh because mm-hmm. Films about Alexander Sarsgaard when he's already grown up. Oh, by the way, Alexander Sarsgaard. I mean, Chef's Kiss. He looks spectacular in this film.
1: Oh, absolutely. I yeah. uh, his his body is worth nuts discussing. Like, wow. Just, uh, you know who wow. else wants
0: to talk about his body a lot? Uh, Alexander Skarsgård? Well, Robert Eggers. <laughs> Robert Eggers like went on at length. He's like, did you see his lats, dude? Like He was really, really... Which, I mean, you want in a director, right? You, you want your director... If you're a lead actor, you want your director to think you're the sexiest person on the planet yeah. because he'll shoot you that way. And right. boy, does Eggers do that. He's like, this man is a specimen.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... You kind of knew what you were getting when you cast him in the first place, but it does really, I I imagine that it must have gone a long way to reinforce his desire to like really bring it to the role because he appreciates that that meant like that he was eating like 4,000 calories a day. Like, oh my God. Every two to three hours.
0: Oh God. Um, Could you imagine living like that? I mean, it's on the one hand, it sounds like a dream, but it's not like fun calories. He's just eating like raw chicken.
1: Yeah. Exactly, or like the rocks diet, where you're eating like all that cod and basically Ugh. defishing an entire fucking ocean. God, uh, but it was, you know, I I think Anya continues to be really interesting. She uh, is such a weird. She has such a weird presence.
0: <laughs> so weird, such a weird energy, and yeah, I'm glad she's continuing her her working relationship with Robert because I think they have a really interesting thing going on. I love that he has just decided she's a witch, like in everything mm-hmm. she's in, she's a witch. Because, I mean, with that face, it's like, yeah, she's got to have like some witchiness going on, you know? So I support that. How did you feel about Nicole Kidman as mommy?
1: I liked her more than I thought I would, mm. but it was still a little bit weird.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? I, I think it was partly but, weird because they have played um, romantic... Um,
1: partners rom- before. Romantic yeah.
0: partners before in the past. So, and there is an incestuous uh tint, I guess, to their relationship in this movie. So that was weird. Um, and, you yeah. know, well, the, the the
1: story it's based on was the inspiration for yes. Hamlet. Hamlet. So, right. you know, and I always get pretty squicked out mm-hmm. by Gertrude. Yes, yeah. I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that carried over like really strongly.
0: <laughs> right. A hundred percent. But yeah, overall, I I enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of Robert Eggers' other films, The Witch and uh, The Lighthouse. And I'm just excited to see what he does next going forward because, you know, he had some complaints about this process. Like, the studio definitely gave him way more notes than he's ever gotten before. And you can tell in the interviews that he's done, he sounds a little bitter about it. Like, maybe they fucked with his baby and changed it more than he wanted it to be changed. But that aside, if this is what he's going to do with bigger budgets, I'm like, this is really exciting.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think he's going to do, I, I think, I've heard a couple of rumors about projects that he's working on, but nothing's mm-hmm. solid enough. that. Um, I but really I think hope, he's going to do some cool shit.
0: <laughs> I do hope he does n- Nosferatu. That was one of the rumors. Um, right. And I would love yeah. that because I,
1: given that the last one was a Herzog film in mm-hmm. the 70s. Mm-hmm. We're almost overdue and also interest like I would trust him to do the story since he is such an interesting visual director.
0: Same. So, yeah, a recommendation for me, obviously a recommendation for Meredith. Check out the Northmen. Super good shit. Obviously, trigger warnings for everything we talked about Uh, graphic violence and the threat of sexual violence. So next movie I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is (laughs) another film I recently got to see starring, of course, Nicolas Cage. It's possibly one of the most meta films you'll see right now, at least, um, about the, you know, the career trajectory of Nicolas Cage and how he is one of the most famous actors alive and also is, well-known for uh, being in a lot of financial debt and doing some questionable artistic projects along the way. And, you know, obviously this film is a a fictionalized story, maybe largely about how, (laughs) I mean, I would not be surprised if someone was like, this is 100% real. Like if that comes to light one day that Nicolas Cage was a CIA asset and a billionaire brought him to his island and there was an insane you know shoot I would be like yes of course cuz it's Nicolas Cage but um so yeah the, the gist of the story is that a a very wealthy man brings Nicolas Cage to his little remote island to meet him and also to pitch his movie idea to him <laughs> and the the very wealthy man is played by the adorable Pablo Pascal who I am in love with and he is just so fucking charming in this movie and Nicolas Cage is so great. Like recently between this and The Pig, every time, or Pig, not The Pig, every time I see Nick Cage, I'm just reminded like, oh, yeah, you're one of the greatest living, working actors.
1: Absolutely. And I saw this at the Wisconsin Film Festival. So a couple of weeks ago, and I went with my sister and we just, we loved it. It's not, it's not like weighty or substantial. It's, it does get very, very silly. Yes. But it's so it was just so much fun and it felt delightful. And I I was surprised because it seemed like many critics didn't like it or enjoy no. it quite as much as I did. And I'm not exactly I'm not sure why, but OK, think, you know, that's fine.
0: I think the issue is and this is so often how it breaks down, whether, you know, a, a film is received well or not. You're either a fan of ness or you're not. Like, if you're a fan of a film going meta and becoming an examination of the film industry itself and acting and, like, you know, getting a little navel-gazy, if you will, you'll love The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent because that's the entire film. If you're not a fan of that, if you really want to be, like, to have a transcendent moment where you're not thinking about the process of filmmaking, I think that would, like, alienate a lot of people.
1: Yeah. um, And, I mean, really, the grand part of the film is watching the relationship between Pedro Pascal's character and Nicolas Cage's version of Nicolas Cage in the film. Um, because and it's little so romance, sweet And yeah. so goofy mm. and so genuine mm-hmm. and, like, Pedro Pascal just really brings in this amazing, sunny, dorky energy where you're like, how can this dude who's so obviously extremely cool be a total dork?
0: And also, how and did, he, how sells it? he how can he go between, like, so dorky and then like incredibly hot like he he does that switch really fast and that's impressive but there are these adorable little scenes between them like I liked their friendship so much where the scene in the car where they're talking about switching shoes like what the fuck like it's just this like, little <laughs> random scene where they're like I really like your shoes and he's like I really like your shoes should we switch shoes I was like oh my god in like the middle of this like high-octane action <laughs> sequence. They just have this little <laughs> moment, this little friendship moment that I thought was so good. So yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, recommendation for me. And I'm also thrilled to be alive during the um, Nicolas Cage renaissance.
1: I know. And I feel like we get a Nicolas Cage renaissance every 15 every, years or
0: so yeah
1: and if bad.
0: like maybe every seven years this man yeah <laughs> has another but person. i'm i'm
1: really okay with it because he brings so much energy and silliness and even some of his really terrible movies that he was making so that he could clearly so he could pay off his uh debt some of them were really fun like the guy just clearly loves to work and i am here for it and as long as he wants to Participate in the in jokes and just uh, embraces being weird. Like go for it.
0: I really appreciate his approach to acting, where he he talks about this in interviews, where he's just like, it's a job. Like it's it's sometimes a hard job, but he really, as you said, he enjoys working. So like he enjoys the process. And listen, he's gonna be in Marvel now, so he'll still be able to pay off his massive gambling debts. <laughs> so absolutely, I'm oh, glad I thought it was be- just that
1: he was buying a lot of stuff, like sarcophagi and t-rex maybe I, i've
0: heard both i've heard that like <laughs> he definitely he, right. he was buying like dinosaur skeletons but there was like other stuff going on too maybe that's yeah. not true maybe it was just a lot of dumb purchases but man he would have had to make a lot of dumb purchases if that's the only thing he was doing uh but i wouldn't put it past him wouldn't put it past nick cage he's a he's a quirky dude so finally in recommendations because i i sort of forced Meredith to start watching this the other day and um you've been enjoying it so far and I've been enjoying it under the banner of heaven on Hulu starring the great Andrew Garfield speaking of leading actors who are effortlessly charming like i uh, you would have to grow Andrew Garfield in a lab if you were like we need an actor who's like charming enough to carry a character who's like obnoxiously mormon Like, who could make that (laughs) very watchable? And it's like, oh, it's Andrew Garfield.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, we were talking about it because we both watched it last night. The first two episodes are up on Hulu. Um, He just brings such a great presence. He really, I don't know. I just found myself immediately drawn to him. And it's also worth saying that the cast on this show is absurd. Like, just absolutely stuffed with an incredibly talented really charismatic actors i mean the joy i had when i texted last night just to be like oh my god it's rory culkin
0: (laughs) or yeah it's fucking wyatt russell like and listen we know nepo baby but the man is like massively talented and charming and charismatic exactly like his father um so i was very happy to see him but yeah like they're they're you know there's it's about a Mormon family, a very influential Mormon family. I won't give too much away about the plot, but, you know, Mormons are known for having very large families. So there's quite a few brothers in in this series, and it, the cast is just stacked. And it's like every scene, it was like, oh, my God, they're in this and they're in this. Um, so that was fun, sort of like celebrity spotting throughout it. But I'm really enjoying it so far. I I think it's fascinating to watch a scene of a cop who's Mormon leading an interrogation against a Mormon suspect and how they communicate in a very specific jargon and way. And there's a lot of interesting insight into the Mormon faith because I, I personally know very little about Mormonism. Um even though where I grew up in illinois i I knew quite a few Mormon people. I even attended a service with one of my friends and her family who were mormon, but like i still it's- it's still such a like little known faith, you know, like we don't know much about it, and this is really an interesting exploration of it,
1: yeah, I thought that um given how Mormonism does still feel very much like a code. I mean, there's like specific language and they have their own, the, they have always been that a bit alien. I mean, that's why they say they're in the world, not of the world. Hmm. Um, So to see that playing out in that way, it felt like a really succinct and smart decision to get at some of that while also driving the plot forward.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm always a big fan of I think we can critique a religion without belittling people for having faith. And Mm -hmm. I really like Under the Banner of Heaven because they do treat, you know, the Mormon faith with a certain level of respect where it's like we are not mocking you for for being a part of this religion. It's a critique of, you know, the the racist and the uh, misogynist aspects of the religion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think. So I'm really curious about where it will go because I I'm excited to see it. And I I've read a couple of reviews that say it's not as good as the book, which doesn't surprise me because it's another like John Krakower right. banger. Um,
0: I can't I never but, read it. Did you read it?
1: Um, I yes, I did. Mm. Um, and it went re- it was a really, really fast read. Yeah. Um, and really interesting. So like if it's you know if you're feeling like something, if you're trying to catch up on good true crime it's one I would say is worth looking at.
0: Cool. Good to know. Uh, did you have any more recommendations? Uh, oh, my God.
1: What other things? <laughs> no,
0: I think I do not.
1: Okay. Oh, I mean, I have finally started watching Severance, so that's happening. Oh,
0: this is huge. What episode are you on? Uh, three. Okay. I will so, say nothing to you. I will say nothing. Thank you. I am
1: prepared. It's going to be pretty amazing. I'm like really enjoying it. (laughs) It's
0: one of those shows I'm so excited when people watch it for the first time. It's like everything, everywhere, all at once. You get so excited for someone who hasn't seen it yet because I'm like, you are about to go on a ride, my friend. Uh, I expect constant text <laughs> updates from you as you're watching. <laughs>
1: oh, absolutely. All right, um, and speaking of everything everywhere, I am taking my boyfriend to see it. So I will be going for a second time uh, hey. this, just this evening. But I just couldn't help myself. I was like, you know what? I think I need to see this again. Who can I drag?
0: I will say, too, because <laughs> I, I also saw it on a date. And I will say it's a great date movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so swoony and romantic. And sweet. it definitely will leave you feeling
0: and it's fun. It's fun. too. It's like it it has some heavy themes, but you walk out of it feeling like really good and optimistic about the world.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So that's definitely something I've been. uh, Yeah, I've been thinking about that.
0: (laughs) Nice. Well, on that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. Here's your bad news. All right, I've started sending Meredith, like, options of topics before we record, just because I realized it's kind of fucked up that I always blindside my guests when they come on this show, and I'm like, <laughs> guess what we're talking about, motherfucker, and they're like, what? Um, so I wanted to give you a heads up, but the, the largest theme that I think we agreed on was climate change, because there's been a lot of climate change news, as there always is, you know, this this last couple weeks is not <laughs> an outlier by any means. But we just got this new United Nations report that came out basically like I feel like every United Nations report that comes out about climate change is worse than the last and pretty much always says like we have to change our behavior immediately. But this one was like Max alarmist um, in an accurate way, not in like a hysterical way about like if we do not address climate change now, we are fucked completely 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 fucked um and again barely covered by the news
1: (laughs) well right everybody's still talking of everybody's talking about gas prices and and oil production and and how we're gonna deal with the fact that the war in russia is probably gonna go on for a while or the war in ukraine right um like no we need to be like we're all gonna die
0: (laughs) yeah that's the thing none of the other stories matter Because if our planet is unlivable, then nothing else matters, right? Like, and the fact that, like, we just had a climate change activist set himself on fucking fire. fire. And by the way, he won't be the last one. When Bruce, uh, a 50-year-old man from Boulder, Colorado, died on Saturday after lighting himself on fire outside the Supreme Court to... Protest a uh, lack of action apparently on climate change. He did this on Earth Day deliberately. And I'm just like, I'm not surprised that there was so little coverage of it, but it just like really. It was
1: like, people just like blew past it and they were like able, they just suddenly slapped on the, like, they treated it like it was another time where like an emotionally disturbed person drove through a barrier at the Capitol, you know?
0: Yeah. And meanwhile, like. We, I just feel like we are currently living in a dystopian novel because, like, so this poor man lights himself on fire. Meanwhile, a literal scene from the opening of Ministry uh, for the Future is happening in India right now. Like, we're literally seeing, like, some of these climate predictions play out of, like, mass deaths from, from severe heat and stuff like that. Um, And like the wet bulb index, you know, which a lot of people think that it needs to be way warmer than it actually does to start killing people. But actually, it depends on humidity and like those sort of measurements. And it doesn't have to get that hot to start killing people. That is currently unfolding right now. And I'm like, man, this poor man was so alarmed by what's happening that he set himself on fire and it barely got coverage. Like, that is heartbreaking.
1: Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's not going to be the last time we see someone make this kind of protest. There is a long history of people committing suicide in acts of protest. And I think that it usually only happens when things are especially dire. So it does not surprise me that someone felt that that was what would happen. And I think that we owe it to his memory to and the memory of anybody else who might do this to take it more seriously but you know at the same time it does feel extremely difficult there's only so much any individual can do or any community can do by banding together given how fucked everything is in general and how you have the systems of the supreme court and state supreme courts that are striking down environmental regulations or the ability for uh government agencies to actually regulate certain things because they say the Congress has to decide that that, you know, they have to pass a law. And the idea that you can only be empowered to protect the earth of, if those clowns decide that it's okay. Like oh we yeah. are we are in a pretty you know, we're just gonna have to keep eating plastic because yeah, it's never I mean, gonna go away.
0: It's pretty clear that if anything's gonna happen, it's gonna happen through direct action and like sabotage. Quite frankly, corporate sabotage, like stopping these major polluters from polluting, that is the only thing that's going to stop it. So definitely going to see more direct action like that. Definitely going to see more, um, you know, suicide, like frankly. And what scares me about this is how many Win bruises are out there that we've never heard about. You know, we Mm -hmm. know that like in India, a lot of farmers were dying by suicide that eventually became a story because it was so many of them that it was like forced to become a story. But I th- I worry about that too, where it's like the idea that their deaths would be completely meaningless just like makes me sick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree.
0: So also in climate change news, uh, Southern California officials on Tuesday took the unprecedented step of declaring a water shortage emergency and ordering outdoor usage be restricted to just one day a week for about 6 million people in parts of Los Angeles, Ventura and San Bernardino. And again, like we're in the bad news section. So I'm allowed to be extra, extra pessimistic here. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Sorry to bring up icebergs in a climate change <laughs> segment. Cause they'll no longer be around soon, but, um, there's going to be mass water shortages, mass migration of people because large parts of the Southwest are going to be uninhabitable and people are going to have to flee. Um,
1: Yeah. And I think these stories, it's so depressing that these things come up every few years and there's like, okay, it's another time. It's a time to do another round of stories about the California water crisis and like talking about, the like people's lawns and talking about water rights and talking about how like, you know, for some douchebag to suggest that we start pumping the Great Lakes and giving it to California.
0: Oh, my God. Um,
1: yeah, it, it's just all of it. And I like, yes, this is what happens. <laughs> you need to start adapting now.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think you're right, Meredith, what you were saying before. I I know a lot of people feel incredibly helpless because I certainly am guilty of this where the problem is so big and I have no faith in our elected leaders or or the Supreme Court or anything like that, that it's just for your own sanity, you disengage. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can't think about it because like I am utterly powerless to stop it. And if I think about it all the time, I will drive myself insane. So I am never covering this stuff with like a finger wagging approach where I'm like, you should all care more because I know everybody listening to the show cares, you cares know, very deeply. Yeah. Um. I think what we can do is if we ever have the opportunity, you know, like to support some kind of direct action to seize that opportunity, because, again, that is the only thing that will stop this.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And um, both about how easy it is to retreat to the disengagement because it's simply too much. Mm-hmm. And that the only way we're going to make any difference or fight that is by getting involved in direct action and in supporting people who are doing really courageous work to try and and stop the destruction of the earth.
0: And I think we need to speak in very frank terms. I think we need to stop like talking about carbon taxes, and we like actually need to speak very plainly about what will stop this and that is direct sabotage and like i i know a lot of people don't want to say that because it's uh considered radical but unfortunately it is also the only solution that i see because if we're waiting for exxon Mobil to stop drilling for oil it's not going to happen
1: yeah we have to actually stop doing these things there's no way to mitigate the harm right it is you know we are either destroying the earth or we are trying to like or we stop destroying the earth and that's it that's as simple as you can possibly get there's yeah. just no in between and we w- we're well past any moment where that might have been a viable option
0: right and i'm also like highly aware of the fact that it is easy to say that from like the comfort of my home where i am not the one being arrested <laughs> you know but like i i Ultimately, in my mind, I'm like, that is what it's going to take. And, and if we're waiting for Congress to do something, if we're waiting for the Supreme Court to do something, it's just not going to happen. We're fucked. We're fucked if we wait for our elected officials to do anything, because even the ones who want to do something are part of this system where they are utterly incapable of getting legislation passed. So we can't go through traditional means anymore. Absolutely. Uh, so, so there you go.
1: Meredith and Allison recommend. Pro-sabotage.
0: Uh, this is a pro-sabotage yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, I think people probably knew that already. They knew that. We didn't need to overtly say that. Um, and by the way, this is all hypothetical and cannot be used in the court of law against us, your honor. So absolutely just putting that in <laughs> here as well. So uh, let's talk about fascists, shall we?
1: Oh, goody, because we haven't
0: done that enough. I know that's um, this is also an anti-fascist podcast in case you're a new listener and you're like, how do they feel about Nazis? We're anti-Nazi, quite frankly. Yeah, we
1: are definitely opposed to Nazis.
0: Sorry to be controversial and sorry if that offends you, but we are anti-fascist. So I wanted to talk about the uh, the election that just happened in uh, France that was way too close for comfort between, uh, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, who is a far, far, far right, uh, candidate. Her daddy was a Holocaust (laughs) denier. She has a horrific platform of, uh, anti-immigration, um, and everything that you would, every check box for a fascist is, uh, Marine Le Pen. And ultimately the results where Macron did come out ahead, but it was 58.5% to 41.5%. 41.5% of France voted for a fascist. And,
1: you know, there's, yes, I recognize that's not exactly close. I mean, 58% is a solid victory. However, that's still way and closer so than it should many be. so And here's well, the thing. Like, also, it's fascinating to see who actually was doing that voting, like, it was more people that were younger and younger educated people. and just pissed off. Like hating Macron was enough to drive them to somebody who's like a Nazi.
0: And there's a lot of factors that play. Like, obviously, there's a lot of frustration with the government right now over the lockdowns for COVID. And like the the fascists really played into that, you know, as they always do. That's how fascists win. Right. They sort of like stoke these resentments and people. Are willing to ignore some of the fascist aspects because they hear something they like. I'm sure a lot of just like overt racists voted for Marine Le Pen too. But I'm saying I don't think 41.5 percent perhaps are fully fascist. <laughs> you know, like maybe half. I mean, fascist. even in a
1: place like France, you know, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um. So yeah, a super bad sign, guys. And anybody who thought that like fascism was. Magically going to stop being a problem once we got rid of Trump. It's like, this is, again, I hate to be this person, but we are in the bad news section. So I'm allowed to be my true self right now. This is just the beginning. I have been like, this was one of my beats when I was a journalist covering the extreme right. And I like constantly was telling people, I'm like, we need to really, 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 really be afraid of the white supremacists in this country. They are the biggest threat to our democracy. And a lot of people were like, I think it's, I think it's Muslim terrorists. And it's like, no, these guys, the separatists, the extreme right, we, you got to watch out for them because they walk among us and we're not looking for them. And yeah, that's and, when they're going and, to strike. <laughs>
1: and all it takes is just like coming in at the right time and the right place and just convincing people. I mean, one of the things that I thought was really telling and also really chilling, given the context of the you know resurgence of the far right in France or the, sudden re-notoriety was that uh one of the spokespeople for Ron DeSantis said that um that he that DeSantis was inspired by Victor Orban. Right. And so when you have an American governor who definitely wants to be president mm-hmm. in the most terrifying way, mm-hmm. um, modeling his actions after a fascist, <laughs> like who has you know, has established a totalitarian state that is violently homophobic and racist and sexist. Um, we are, you know, we're fully there. Like this is it's happening. Whether It's we all like connected.
0: It or not. We are Charlie and it's always sunny in Philadelphia in front of the board, wild eyed, telling you people it's all connected. <laughs>
1: Look, I knew my obsession uh, corkboard would come in handy eventually.
0: <laughs> I always call that uh, the wall of insanity when they show that mm-hmm. in movies. It's just like a lot of newspaper clippings. It's like, oh, yep, there's their wall of insanity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder: do they sell that as like as at a craft store? Like, they, should. they sell conspiracy string.
0: I mean, in I'm the just year... wondering:
1: you could really get, uh, you could really like get into there and like probably set like, oh my god, out a niche for yourself.
0: Wait. Meredith, I have a brilliant idea. We set up conspiracy subscription boxes where (gasps) we will send you your little uh, conspiracy insanity starting kit that'll have red string. It'll have a tinfoil hat. It'll have a bunch of random newspaper clippings that you'll start to connect through nonsensical ways that make sense only to you. And that will be our business that will make us $1 trillion. That's, I love it. Um, And for the,
1: you know, for premium subscribers, you get a, uh, a new conspiracy of a new conspiracy <laughs> throughout from history uh, every month.
0: Wait, this is actually a great <laughs> idea because these were the bonus episodes that Charles and I recorded that actually are available still on my Patreon right now where we just ran through our favorite internet conspiracy theories. And there's some like great ones Um, oh yeah yeah so we could definitely we already have the research that we could send people so oh my god are we gonna be rich uh
1: finally right we deserve it very much
0: we'll be very bad people but ultimately we'll be rich um so speaking of fascists speaking of bad news in the united states uh the oklahoma oklahoma legislature on thursday approved two bills that would ban. Virtually all abortions and both Republican composed laws would take effect immediately if the governor signs them as he has promised. So, yeah, we've been covering this a lot on this show, how the Supreme Court, it seems very likely within the next few months, is going to hear challenges to Roe v. Wade. It seems very likely that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Um, And I, I no longer feel like that is, uh, you know, hyperbolic. I feel like for a number of years, people were like, the Supreme Court would never actually do that. They don't like to overturn precedent like that. But I'm like, that's at- the whole point of the judges that Trump appointed. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> they're going to do it because that's the whole reason they were appointed. It's their mission. It's their holy crus- crusade in their minds. Like, why would they not do it?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I found most disturbing and just in general like vicious and it's not surprising that this is happening but uh is that Oklahoma abortion clinics had seen something like a 2500% increase in um people coming from Texas to access oh, abortion shit. care. Yeah. Um because they uh they couldn't get it like the law in Texas meant that they no longer had any mean, right, like any access. Right. So by you know, passing and signing this law, that's like one more part of the country where, like, where the hell are these women supposed to go?
0: Not only and, that, did you hear uh, this week, I think Georgia and Alabama have stopped giving abortions, not because they've outlawed it, it was just that Planned was doing Parenthood, that. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Um, because they don't have the staff, apparently. Yep which is batshit. shit. Um, and listen, I know Planned Parenthood, you know, constantly tirelessly working to provide healthcare for anyone seeking an abortion. So not faulting them, but how frightening that even in states where it hasn't been fully outlawed, they are unable to provide them because they don't have the staff. Yeah. Well, and I mean,
1: that comes from so many different sources and mm-hmm. reasons. I mean, it's from everything from hospitals and med schools, not like refusing to actually provide care, or like training to provide care, mm-hmm. um, whether it's for you know uh, whatever reasons they choose to to say that it it's why they do that. But um, and then I mean the simple fact that people like clinics can't guarantee security for people that might want to work. I mean yep. the general fear of being treated. I mean the uh, abortion terrorism is alive and well and will never go
0: away. Yeah. And we everybody in recent memory, I guess, if you're a, of a certain age, we all remember what happened to George Taylor. It's like that constant threat of violence is always there.
1: Yeah. And the people who do th- this work do it in spite of those in immense dangers. Yeah. Uh, because they believe that access is essential medical care and they believe in being the best providers they can be. Um, yeah, they're but they're you shouldn't be. Years. Yeah. But you and, and now there's just I guess there's it's so fascinating in the most depressing way that for my entire life, this has felt like one of those things where everybody talks about how it's like, oh, there's going to be so many people that, uh you know, there's there's always there's states where you can't get an abortion. There's regions where you can't get an abortion. And now it's going further and further and yeah. further and further. It's yeah. like
0: watching a slow motion train wreck like. We've been watching it our entire lives happening. Like I people of our age, like we're sort of living in the 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 regressive <laughs> uh, stage of, of uh, feminist rights in this country where like we're watching everything that everyone before us fought so hard to obtain uh, be obliterated. And that is like so alarming. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like there's again, there's nothing we can do except just sort of
1: Try direct action, give money to abortion funds, really like supporting people speaking out. But there's just these Catholic assholes sitting on the Supreme Court in their stupid robes that are going (laughs) to just decide that there's some reason why they should be able to get away with this bullshit.
0: This bunch of Catholic assholes and their stupid robes is my favorite description of the Supreme court ever. It's totally accurate. It's totally you stupid. Your stupid little robes. You dumb Catholics. Dumb Catholics is the funniest insult that I'm going to use all the time now.
1: Um, I mean, you have to, you're Irish, so it's, I can get away
0: with it. I think I was raised Roman Catholic. I can call y'all a bunch of dumb Catholics. Cause you are, um, or some of you are, I guess. So I am <laughs> once again asking anybody out there, if you know of any sort of underground training to provide abortions, let me know. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's like I think at this point that's going to be one of the forms of direct action. We should be training to give safe abortions if we, if we need to uh, ever do them because all the clinics are closed. Yeah. And uh, if you have the
1: resources to buy abortion pills online um, and then just keep them on hand in case someone might need them, do that. It's a good yeah. it's a pretty low impact way. Yes, it is much more, uh, much more accessible than surgical abortion care. And it doesn't it, it's only used up to a you know relatively short time, but it is still critical. So and it's very safe things that we can do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are many things, and it's just it. At least in this posi- like this situation, yes, a lot of it does involve money, but you know, clinic defense is still very important. Counsel, you know, actual support. There's lots of ways to to make a difference.
0: Hell yeah! On that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. Here's your good news. Yay! <laughs> this has been a very frank episode where we're like sabotage underground training to provide abortions. (laughs) Not that we've never said this stuff before, but I'm like, wow, we're just like laying out all the cards. Yeah. Well, once again, we are not explicitly advocating any form of violence or criminal activity. Please do not,
1: you know, yeah, we are not trying to incite. We are merely speaking hypothetically about our
0: hypothetically, hypothetically, about our feelings. Wink, wink, wink. Um, they play this entire episode when you and I are just standing in a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> I Unless know. I'm do just imagining <laughs> just a, just a smash
1: cut to the two of yeah. us. Just like with our heads down. <laughs> Fuck!
0: What did we do? <laughs> uh, we did it. We podcasted, which is always a mistake. So good news, everybody. I feel like there are numerous examples of this next story that I want to talk about, but this was just one that caught my eye. Um, uh, Oligarchs in Russia right now are very, very, very sad um, because the world hates them. And the Department of Justice recently announced that they have this task force that is created to seize the assets <laughs> of Russia's richest citizens. I just instantly start laughing when I <laughs> see this story. Um, and the the biggest splash uh, asset seizure is when they are going after these mega yachts. And this has made the Russian oligarchs so very sad, everyone, because they love their mega yachts. Oh, I mean,
1: wouldn't you be sad if someone took your mega yacht and uh, you couldn't go on your giant pool that converts into a helipad anymore?
0: Meredith, I just want you to guess. Guess how much a (sighs) mega yacht costs. Uh, Don't someone cost like $500 million? Yes, they do. Uh, The one that they seized uh, most recently, it was a 250 foot mega yacht owned by sanctioned oligarch Victor Vexelberg, was $90 million. So he had a cheap mega yacht. Oh, how, like, can
1: you imagine going to the mega yacht get together and realizing you've got the cheapest one there?
0: Imagine having $90 million to buy a boat.
1: (sighs) No, I don't think I will.
0: Yeah, that should be illegal. I feel like Uh, having that much money is a form of violence. And absolutely
1: 100 percent wealth tax, no yachts for anyone.
0: Yep. Nobody can own a yacht. Everybody new rule. Nobody gets a yacht. It's for the planet. It's for survival of so many people. You do not need a yacht. So I have just been enjoying like, listen, what's happening in Ukraine is so horrific. um, And, you know. Just to be very clear, I think the American government should do everything in their power to help Ukrainian people, and uh, they need help. And Putin is a fucking fascist who needs to be stopped. Full stop. That's how I feel. Um, but if there's one good thing that comes out of this, it's that Russian oligarchs are being inconvenienced.
1: Yeah. Well, anytime the Russia, anytime an oligarch is inconvenienced, is truly uh, something that I support, and I think that when you it's oversimplif it it is oversimple because these people are so cartoonishly ridiculously evil and their connection to Putin and the way that they launder money for him so that he can keep his ill-gotten wealth Mm -hmm. uh without consequences. Um it's just there's no downside to just being glad that they're not
0: having a good time. Exactly. And like you're exactly right. That's who Putin is. Putin is in power, remains in power because he represents and defends the Russian oligarch. So in that way, any strike against the Russian oligarch is a strike against Putin, um, which is another benefit of taking their stupid fucking mega yachts. (laughs) (laughs) Take the mega yachts, take their private jets. Take it all. Definitely seize their property.
1: And by the way, don't...
0: Don't just stop. Don't stop with Russian oligarchs. Like, as you said, Meredith, all oligarchs take their stupid fucking helicopters, take their stupid fucking yachts and tax the shit out of these people. They'll still be richer than you could imagine in your wildest dreams. But it won't be at this obscene level where, like, people are starving all around them because guess what? We have enough resources to go around where nobody has to starve. Nobody has to skip a meal. Nobody has to be without shelter. There's enough to go around if we tax these motherfuckers at higher rates. hmm I'm completely here for it. Yep. So uh, I asked you for some good news story suggestions because I was like, it's a little light this week. Uh, if you can believe it, it's been hard to find good news. So you reminded me, about the uh, nationwide efforts at uh, unionizing at Starbucks, which has been very, very exciting to watch. And this past week, employees at a Starbucks store in Minnesota became the first in the state to unionize. So congratulations to them. And that is like proper good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that the fact that these
1: these votes just keep going so strongly in favor of unionizing i mean they are just absolutely bodying howard schultz in terms of managing (laughs) to get people
0: together like his stock is plummeting because people are like wow you really don't have a handle on this and but by the way when people say like get a handle on this they mean crush workers trying to organize which is a cool way to live you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: I was like, "Oh, you said." And you know, to go with this and I know this is something that happened a little while ago, but it's worth shouting out that um the consulting firm that advised Amazon during the Amazon labor union drive in Staten Island uh is like now so toxic that there are, you know, our conversations about from like dem- the Democratic Party talking about how like they won't they won't do any work with companies that have given services to anti-union drives.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: like, oh, mm-hmm. so social pressure finally works. Yep.
0: Yep. And yeah, again, like all credit to the incredibly brave workers uh, at Starbucks at Amazon who are collectively organizing in a really hostile environment. And again, I wish I knew this Amazon employee's name, but I thought it was so funny when he was talking about Jeff Bezos going into space, and he's like, "Well, while he was in space, we were down here organizing." And it's like, "Ha ha, you fucking idiot! Fuck you, Jeff Bezos!" (laughs) You're like, "Oh, I hope you had some
1: fun. I hope you had some fun in in uh, you know the upper atmosphere. I hope you had fun uh, in space. uh, Fuck you, you pay us.
0: (laughs) I hope you had fun in space. You bald dummy. Yeah." (laughs) <laughs> welcome back <laughs> motherfucker yeah um so to go along with that you also wanted to shout out uh kim kelly who's a great labor journalist has a new book out called fight like hell the untold history of american labor it's getting very good reviews and if yeah if you're if you're curious about the history of organizing in this country uh kim Kelly's a great Columnist and journalist, and uh, did a lot of research for the book. So check that out.
1: Yeah, just really fantastic stuff. Uh, doing has done some amazing coverage of strikes all around the country. Uh, seems to have developed some really, really wonderful relationships with with working people who are fighting for their lives to get better working conditions, which is uh, fantastic. And it's also cool that somebody who started out as a music journalist about metal is yeah. now just crushing it Guys, on, if you, if you on haven't labor seen, reporting.
0: <laughs> if you haven't seen Kim Kelly, she like looks like the coolest person on the planet. So like just, I mean, how often do you see uh, a journalist writing about labor rights with like multiple facial piercings, you know, like it's so awesome. And yeah, she has this really cool background and she actually talks to real life workers on the ground. Like imagine that. Um, So do check out the book again. It is called Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor. And Meredith, I wanted you to tell me about what the heck is going on in Madison with these little fucking turfs coming uh, to make trouble in April. Oh, my
1: goodness. So, you know, this is one of those times where I truly do appreciate how organized and how supportive the community was for queer people and trans people um in the wake of this so what happened was some turfs wanted to come together and have a quote as was a feminist con- conference of mm-hmm. course uh and when that became public the library the madison public library which is where the event was being held said that you know yes we consulted with the state department of justice to figure out what the laws are like if there was you know we in consultation, there was no legal basis for us to deny their request. Uh, so, because they're, we you know we can't turn them away. These are all these things that we're going to do to to like support trans and gender nonconforming people at our other libraries. Here are some events we're going to schedule, um, which was quite nice. And so then the turfs showed up, and they were exactly I mean just the turfiest of the turf nonsense screaming at people getting in their faces demanding to know like if someone's a woman or not like really just disrespectful that's Um, weird because turfs
0: are usually so reasonable that like surprises Uh, yeah yeah
1: so um so last weekend there was just an enormous outpouring uh from activists and from communities to do um to do events that were about love and trans joy and so there was a you know one of the parks near my apartment there was a big outdoor festival with like face painting and dancing and performances and food and was very sweet and um love it there's yeah so there's there was an enormous effort put into positivity and the people who showed up to try and be obnoxious were really like they showed their asses pretty hard. Yeah, because if you're, that, if you're you know. standing
0: there and you're like, which party would I rather go to? And you look at like a bunch of fucking angry turfs screaming and then you look over at like a bunch of cool trans people and their allies like painting their faces, dancing around, listening to music, having a great time. Guess which party I want to go to? I want to go party with the trans people. Absolutely. Um, so I think there
1: were there were a few incidents that went, you know, went around a bit. I feel like some of the people who were captured doing um, some particularly egregious things will see some consequences for so such egregiously lousy behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that watching terrible people face consequences is always deeply satisfying. Um, But it certainly is a good news story because while the city is far from perfect in many, 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 many ways, um, it was really lovely to see how, how much work people put in to try and, and show, Young, you know, show people who uh, need support that they don't have to go through bullshit alone.
0: I love that, and also this was a great example of I was like, "There's no good news," and so often there is good news, but you have to look like locally because it's not going to get covered <laughs> nationally because um, negative news tends to, to to dominate. And like, obviously, there was a negative aspect to the story, but. In the end, it was just, like, um, a bunch of great organizers who spun it and made it a cool, positive thing. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, shout out to the people
1: who were trying to say that the Madison Public Library was trying to ban the TERFs despite, <laughs> like, just because they were transparent, as they are legally required to be, Um about the process they went through to decide what needed to happen. I mean, by following the regulations and then being honest about how, like, personally, we definitely wouldn't have wanted them. But, like, we can't say no.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: A hundred percent.
0: So on that note, Meredith, was there anything you wanted to to plug or anything like that?
1: Um, Not at the moment. Okay. I feel like I am not... I'm deep in my own brain and not thinking about other stuff that I'm getting. I feel
0: that I feel being deep in your own brain and not (laughs) being able to (laughs) escape ever. Um, and that is hell. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. I we're recording this early, by the way, I feel like I should say that in case anything massive happens, uh, tomorrow. We usually post on Sundays, but I'm going to post this episode a little early, I think, just so things stay as fresh as possible. Um, So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Follow me on all the socials at Allison Kilkenny. Light Trees and News is also on all the socials under Light Trees and Pod. If you like the show, if you're a fan of what we do, there's two ways you can support. You can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. There for as little as $5 a month, you keep the show going. Or you could just go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button. Up to you. No judgment either way. Again, thank you to Richard, my most recent supporter. And have a great weekend, everybody. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. Bye.